This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, we are in the midst of a great series called Stories, and uh, we're looking at different stories that Jesus told. And if you look at his life and you look at all of his teachings, what you find about Jesus is that one-third of everything that he taught was in the form of a story. And I think the reason Jesus chose this method is because it's a way to to communicate a simple truth in a very engaging way. We all like stories. They seem to just be very memorable. They touch the heart. They make sense to us. So we've been looking at different stories that Jesus teaches. And what we have found so far about the stories that we've looked at is that they speak to us. These aren't just historic stories that were written 2,000 years ago and when Jesus walked this earth. They were stories that... um, means something to us today. In fact, I think as we read them, we have to remind ourselves that as Jesus was speaking to the crowds during his time, so is he speaking to you. What makes the stories challenging though, although they're very meaningful and they at times can be emotional, is that they, they challenge us. They, they were intended to put a finger on something in your life along with a little gentle nudge from Jesus to say, hey, this might be an area that I want to talk to you about. And if you're like me, every time I read a parable, I just go, man, I'm guilty. I'm in trouble. Jesus, help me. And if we process our way through that with Jesus, we find that uh, oftentimes we can be a better person as a result of applying, not just hearing, but applying those principles to our life. Well, today we're going to look at another story. We're going to look at the story of the rich fool. And I thought about this story and I thought about Jesus. And if Jesus were here today, if we said, hey, Jesus, we want you to be a guest speaker today. We want you to come in and hang out with us. I think this would probably be one of the stories at the top of his list. Because if you look at our culture, the culture in which all of us are immersed in, America, we are probably one of the most materialistic, self-focused, self-serving, narcissistic cultures on planet Earth. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, Not that you're any uh, part of that, of course, but we are immersed in a culture that has an effect on you. And because we are bombarded daily with media, entertainment, magazines, peer pressure, work, material things, we actually become a byproduct of our culture. And so what makes this story cool is that every one of us could use a little bit of the rich, young, fool story in our lives. As I thought about just America and I thought about the extravagance or the blessing of our country, I came across a couple little gifts or a couple little items that maybe you might think about or maybe you already have in your house, I don't know, But I just wanted to just kind of give you a snapshot into some of the things that we do here in America. Um, Here be the first one. How many of you would like a nice couple new toilets in your house that are worth $4.4 million each? I mean, I was sitting there this morning thinking, you know, it would just make that moment a little bit more memorable and enjoyable if I sat on diamonds, right? I don't know how that feels or if it makes you break out in a rash, but 
You could have a $4.4 million toilet in your house. Isn't that exciting? You can sign up in the back. We're taking orders and we can get those made for you right after the service. How about this one? How many have a dog? If you just wave at me, you're just going, hey, I love my dog. We don't want Fifi to feel left out. So there's a company that actually makes doggy mansions to match your home so that Fifi doesn't get confused on where to go or live or if you make him go out in the yard, he can actually go to his own air-conditioned mansion himself. That's exciting. Everybody needs one of those for Fifi. Not. How about this one here? How about... um, how about a new pair of shoes? I mean, ladies love shoes and guys love shoes. Here's an actual pair of shoes that went for $2 million. Uh, those are real diamonds. And if you like shoes, maybe this is the pair for you because of course you, you know, deserve them, right? And uh, ladies, maybe guys, you're going, what do I buy my wife? She has everything. How about a new purse? $3.8 million purse. You can take a look at this. It's in the form of a heart so she feels the love right? And so there's a little purse for your wife. And if uh, ladies, you're looking for something for the guys, a new, new watch will be available for you. You can actually get a $5 million bling bling, hashtag bling bling, uh, watch for yourself. And if you're, how many are getting ready or want to be uh, getting ready to be married? Come on. A couple of you guys, young people. Okay. You can get this, this dress here for $1 million. It's a, it's a deal. It's a steal of a deal. And so I encourage you young couples to spend all your money to buy that kind of dress, right? I think if Jesus were here today, this would be a big story. If he was to look at America, if he would look at the way that we're blessed, he would say, I want to talk to you about some stuff about your stuff. And as we look at this story, I think if there's, there's one big idea, if you, if you could walk away today with this one thought, I would want you to walk away with this thought as we look at this story. True riches are not measured by what I own. I'm just going to say it again because this has to sink in. True riches are not measured by what I own but how I use what I've been given. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. I know many of you today would also have our notes on your smartphone. If you're new to City Bible Church or you're listening online, you can go ahead and text the word notes to the number 313131. You'll get all of our PowerPoints. You get them every week. And so if you have those, you can open that up. And we're going to look at another story here. Jesus is teaching a crowd. He's talking about this whole idea of fearless confession. And he's interrupted by a man in the crowd that asks him a very pointed question. Jesus chooses to stop the conversation to address the man. So we pick up the story, Luke 12, verse 13. It says, then someone called from the crowd. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, this is Jesus, beware. This sounds like a pretty terse or harsh response, but listen to what he says. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Listen to what he says right here. 
Life is not measured by how much you own. Think about that for a second. I'll say it again. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. Just to make sure that this young guy in the crowd got it, here he is moving to a story, a simple story, an engaging story. And it says he told them the story. There was a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Listen to how he finishes this story. He begins to add a little commentary we'll look at. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus comes in this, in this story and he lovingly confronts a man who's preoccupied with worldly riches. He's immersed in a culture that taught him this way. He doesn't know any better. He, he actually thought he was doing pretty good. He, he thought he had some money coming his way, some riches coming his way. And so he's just asking an honest question. You know, hey, can you help me with some more riches? And, and it's unfortunate. Jesus is coming in this situation not to confront him with what he has, but to talk to him about the motive of his heart and why he has what he has. This really isn't a story about money, whether you should have money or not have money. This is really a story about the motive of heart. It's really confronting the issues of our motives and why do we look at life the way we look at it? Why do we think that somehow, some way, if I just have the nicer car, or maybe I have the bigger house or the new dress that I'm just going, or obviously the iPhone 6. Why is it that I would just feel a little bit better if I had more stuff? Jesus addresses this issue, and he's coming back to just say this. True riches are not measured by what you own, but they are measured based upon how I use what I've been given. The challenge of this story there's a little bit of me and you in this story. And so I wanna just start by just looking at the different types of riches that we face. There's obviously the riches of the world and secular riches and the way that the world looks as riches. And if we really were to define what we think in our culture, a natural temporal perspective is that riches are defined as an abundance of material possessions, finances, and real estate, things, stuff. We think somehow, some way that if we have stuff, 
we're rich. Our society tells us that all the time, bombards us every day with the idea, if you have more stuff, you're rich. We happen to be one of the most blessed and rich countries on planet Earth. You may not perceive yourself to be rich when you compare yourself to another American, but as you compare yourself to the rich of the world, the rest of the world, you'll find that you're one of the richest few percent that walk planet Earth. Do you know that 10% of all the people on planet Earth today, 750 million people today, don't know where they're going to get their next meal? How many people already ate something today? Wave at me, come on. Half of you, good. How many are planning on eating something today? How many are actually praying about, oh gosh, where's my next meal gonna come? We don't, we don't even think about it. Why? Is because we're so blessed. We're immersed in a country where it's just, you just have food, right? 750 million people don't. 1.25 billion people today live in a shack, a tent, or no housing at all. 20% of all people walking the planet today really don't even have a place to call home. 30% of people, or 2.1 billion people, don't have a safe source of drinking water. No sanitation, no running water. 40% live without electricity, or 2.8 billion people. 3.5 billion people survive on approximately $2 a day or less. 50% of the planet today make $2 a day or less. How many make $2 a day or less? We had one of our staff people raise their hand. We're going to be adjusting their paycheck this week to reflect his confession of faith. So how about this one? 4.2 billion people don't have a cell phone or have never made a phone call. 60% of the world today have never even made a phone call. They don't even have have a cell phone. I mean, some of you, you're just going, oh my gosh, how do they do? Oh, oh my gosh. There's actually, I just read an article, 38% of all Americans today suffer from a disease. This is true, it's, it's not made up, called nomophobia. Nomopho, nomophone, nomopho, nomophobia. It's true, that's how I remember it. Nomophobia, you can, you can Google it yourself. That they actually have a panic attack or an anxiety attack when they can't find their phone or it runs out of juice. Come on, you, I mean, you're just, oh my gosh, where do we plug in? I mean, just got, you carry a cord in your back pocket, you got one in the car, you got one in the, I mean, I can't do anything without my phone. 60% of people have never even made a phone call I got real intense on that. I don't know why. It just felt good right there. Just phone call. Sorry, Frank, I looked at you when I said that. You probably don't even have a cell phone. It's okay. How about this one? 90%, 6.3 billion people never owned a car or computer. I say that to say this. Every single one of you in this room are blessed. You may not think it, but We live in one of the most blessed nations and blessed times in the history of humanity. Here's the danger. This is where Jesus is going with this. We thought we deserved it. Maybe we didn't think we deserved it, but we just expected it. We didn't, we lost sight of thankfulness in it. It's just kind of here. And 
One of the dangers of being so blessed is that the more that we're blessed, the more entitled we feel to have. Especially in the culture in which we live, it's just, it's constantly telling you, get a new car, trade in the old one. It has 12,000 miles on it. Please, it's old, it's past tense. Why get an, uh, you know, get an iPhone 6? I mean, your iPhone 5's over nine months old. A new one just came out. Please. Come on, we think this way. And the more that we get, the more that we forget how blessed we are, the more entitled we feel, and we actually work harder spending all of our time to make more money, to buy more stuff we don't need, to impress people we don't know, to finally sell it for pennies on the dollar at the garage sale to make room for more stuff to buy. And Jesus is going, time out. Let's talk to your heart. Let's really talk about your focus, your energy, your motives, your pursuits, what's in your heart, what really matters to you. It's what Jesus is starting to do. And so he, we start this story and we find as it unfolds, the guy starts with this question. He interrupts Jesus' teaching and he says, teacher, verse 13, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. It seems like a, a reasonable request. But when you understand the culture, you wonder why Jesus responded so abruptly. Because as you look at the culture, the Pharisees of those days actually equated spiritual blessing to material riches. If you go back and you read Deut Deuteronomy 28, you'll find that they actually felt that material wealth was a sign that they were closer and more blessed by God. So he's immersed in a culture now, again, the focus isn't God for America, it's the God of this age. But we live in a time that we think that our blessing in life, our happiness, our joy, comes from stuff, same as this guy. But furthermore, what we find out about this guy is that he's asking for something he doesn't even deserve. If you go back and you study the law back then, you find that the oldest son was able or was supposed to inherit two-thirds of all of his father's inheritance. The one-third was then separated between the next son or if there's more sons, all of the sons. He's asking for half. Jesus understands this cultural context if he's saying, this guy right here, he interrupted my teaching. He's asking for more than he needs and more than he deserves. He has a sense of covetousness, entitlement, greed upon him. And Jesus stops the whole party and says, we're gonna have a conversation right here. I wanna tell you a story because there's something wrong right here with your heart. Furthermore, he even is asking Jesus, not because he wants to be a Christ follower, but he wants Jesus to be a convenience God somehow, some way. He just wants him to work on his behalf, not understanding that he is supposed to serve Jesus and work on his behalf. And it's in this context, and again, when you think about American Christianity, I call it cranial Christianity, but when you think about Christianity today and the way that we live and what goes on, this story right here has something to do with us. And so Jesus comes, and again, he, he goes after the heart condition. He says, okay, we're not going to focus on the riches of the world. I want to talk to you about 
riches according to Jesus, according to the Bible, according to the kingdom of God. And he says to him in verse 15, he says, guard against every kind of greed, material wealth and the pursuit of it in the wrong way. He says this, life is not measured by how much you own. Another translation, ESV translation says this, it does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Riches really according to the Bible and Jesus is simply this, an elaborate, ever-increasing, everlasting deposit of God's kingdom in you. I'll read that again. Maybe one person will say amen. Come on. An elaborate, ever-increasing, everlasting deposit of God's kingdom in you. Jesus is saying that true riches are found in taking what you have and investing them in the right things. Your time, your emotions, your energy, your finances, whatever it is that you've been given, we recognize God is the disperser of things in our life. He gave them to me, and if I invest them properly, if I have the right heart, if I have the right motive, something comes upon you that you can't get in any other way. True peace, true happiness, true joy, fulfillment, contentment. Everything comes your way because you're focused on doing the right thing. It's so important to understand this. I'm just gonna uh, just hit pause for a moment. You can have lots of money. It's okay. Someone should say, I thought someone would go, oh yeah, thanks. Okay, listen. Money just can't have you. There's nothing in the Bible that says that great prosperity is a sign of the devil. It's not. It's neutral. It's your motive of how you use them and view them. This isn't a message about money. This is a message about motive. It's about your heart. It's not the renunciation of wealth, nor is it the promotion of wealth. It's the abuse of wealth that Jesus is talking about. And when I think about just this whole idea, again, when I, when I think about blessings, now I've got a nice car, I've got a nice house, I've got nice things, a lot of you do. Jesus isn't concerned with that. He's concerned with how you use them, what you do with them. I thought about this kitchen knife as I was cutting some stuff up for a smoothie this morning. Like I said, maybe some sausage or something, but it was a smoothie, so wanted to sound healthy. I thought, you know, this message is a lot like this knife in the fact that God puts something in your hand that's neutral. If you hold it like this and you use it in the kitchen, it becomes one of the most useful tools if it's used properly and put into the hands of the right person. But if all that I do is this and hold it a different way, it becomes one of the most volatile, deadly weapons known to man. It's not the knife's problem. It's the person that's holding it. 
And it's not just the person that holds it, but it's how we hold it. This is what Jesus, just stick with me right here. This is what Jesus is after. How are you holding your stuff? How do you look at everything that you have? Are you holding it properly? Or are you holding it in the wrong way? He says, however you hold it will determine your outcome. And so I want to look at some of the mistakes that this, that, that this uh, rich young ruler made. Kind of sounds like a lot of people maybe that I've come into contact with. He starts, first of all, with this wrong foundation. As the story unfolds and Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He says, let me tell you a story about a rich man that had a fertile farm and fine crops. He said, rich man, fertile farm, fine crops. He actually thought he had something to do with it. I understand that there is a part that we play in working, ethics, hard work. God blesses your efforts and your work. I also know that if you work hard to plant a seed, there's nothing that you can do to cause that to grow. Only God brings the increase. He starts with this foundation that what he had was a result of himself, that his fine crops and fertile ground was something that he did. It wasn't. It's what God did. We have to start with this foundation because out of this, he, he makes a couple statements that, that I think are mistakes that we make. And listen to some of the comments, and I'm just going to put them in modern vernacular, and I'll, I'll give you the scripture to back it up. Here is one of his wrong mindsets. He thought this, I am the source of my riches. Here's what he said. Listen, listen to this, this, this verse in verse 17. He says this, then he said to himself, He was talking to himself. He was enamored with his richness. He's thinking, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look what I have. Yeah, look at the job I've done. Look at the house I built. Look at the car I have. Look at the bank account. I mean, this is, there's something in our culture where we, we get enamored with our stuff because we think somehow it makes us feel better. Maybe significance, identity, acceptance, whatever it might be. The more stuff you have, you just kind of just go, oh yeah, look at it, you know. And he said to himself, he had so much stuff he had to build extra barns. You would think that he would just stop and just go, God, thank you so much for Man, I can't believe the way I'm blessed and all that. God, what do, you, what do you want? Thank you for giving it to me. What do you want me to do with this? He didn't do that. He said to himself. You know what's funny about this scripture? We do the same thing. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you talk to yourself about your stuff? Come on, we, we all do it. You talk to yourself about your stuff. Tax return comes in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Now, you, you, you don't tell anybody this, but internally you're going, oh, trip time. Yeah. You got, I mean, all of a sudden you start dreaming. You got something in your hand and you say to yourself, what should I do with what I have? This was a fatal flaw. He thought that actually 
What he had was a result of himself. Jesus is going, okay, we're going to tell a little story about you. He goes on and there's another mistake he makes. Here's the next thing that he had. I dictate the use of my riches. Not only did he say to himself, but he said to himself this, what shall I do? Mine. Now, again, this isn't because you're a bad person. You see it in your two-year-old. You know, you, you hand them a toy and a friend's over, mine, right? Mine. What shall I do? If we think we are the originator or the creator of our resource, we then think we are owner of it. And if we think that we're an owner of it, then we feel that we have the right and privilege to do with what we have however we please. In God's economy, we find that everything that you have, he gave to you, including your life. We are not owners of our stuff, we're stewards of our stuff. And if we're a steward and a manager, we begin to ask the question, because it's not ours, you ask the owner what you're supposed to do with his stuff. Your money's not your own. Your time is not your own. Your life is not your own. It was bought with a price. And again, we get just enough Jesus in our life to make it miserable. Because there's so much of me in the way when Jesus comes in, we go, ah, I don't like that. I mean, what kind of... Anybody relate to me a little bit? Come on. Speaking to the right crowd. Here's another, another challenge that he had with his thought. I devour all of my riches for my own benefit. What I have been given is for me. Isn't that true? I mean, your paycheck, I mean, that's for you. However you want it, it's for, it's for me to spend. It's for me to buy. It's for me to store up. Now, I understand that we need to be stewards and take care of bills and food and provision, but we do that because God tells us that he'll supply our needs and that we're supposed to do those things. But what he said is this, verse 17, he says, I don't have room for all my crops. He's saying this, I've got more stuff than I need. Remember when we talked about how we're really blessed? We think that maybe we don't have really all of our needs we really do. How many, how many um, have ever watched the show Storage Wars? Man, isn't that the coolest show? How many actually think that Barry is the worst buyer on the planet? I mean, the guy, he'll go spend $2,000 to open up the shed and there's like this broken toilet in there. Every time he's go, Barry, get a clue, right? But what also I find about this show as you open up these storage sheds, people are paying years to store stuff that they've forgotten about that mean nothing. There's, there's hardly any value to them. In fact, if you go back and do the statistics or the study on storage sheds in America, there are 2.3 billion square feet of storage shed for your stuff and my stuff. If you divide that by the amount of Americans, every single one of us have seven square feet to store stuff other than our house in America. Meaning that every person in America could stand all at the same time in a storage shed together. 
51,000 storage facilities, not spots, but facilities, four times the size or four times the number of McDonald's just for stuff. Because why? We don't have enough room in our barn, so we just buy more and store it. Man, Jesus, help us. So there's this mindset that we have, and Jesus says, well, it's not only just the mindset, but you translate this mindset to actions. Here's a couple actions that we would have that we see unfold in the story that Jesus tells. Number one is my wants are more important than my needs. Come on, we're all there. We live in the now. We just live right now. It's like, it's more important to drive that car and have a monster house payment than it is to be out of debt. It's more important to have that boat than to have a retirement account. Why? Because we want it now, right? We want it now. You look at credit card debt and you look at what's happening in America today. We want it now. Forget saving for it. I mean, that's pastime. That's old school. That's kind of what the silent generation, we, we want it now. Even if it costs us seven times as much to put it on a credit card. Because my wants are more important than my needs. How about this one? My excess is more important than another's lack. Here's what the, here's what the rich, fuel sa- rich, rich fool said. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. I got so much stuff. Forget if there's someone else in need. I'm just going to store it up whether I need it or not. I'm just going to kind of put it into another storage shed. Jesus is saying, no, you shouldn't do that. Should you have retirement? Yes. Should you have savings? Absolutely. But we should be asking Jesus, what do you want me to do with what I have? I had the wonderful privilege of talking with a very close friend, and he's probably in the service. And he, uh, he came and shared with me this week that he, uh, he was contemplating what to do with a, an extra car that they had. And he said, you know, as I begin to look at the numbers and look through things and putting it on the insurance, it would cost me extra money a month. And this, this family doesn't have like a lot of excess money. They could have easily put the car on the insurance and drove it. They could have easily sold it and justified it and took the money to live. But you know, it just blessed me so much with this great young man. He said, you know, I'm going to give this car away. He didn't say, my pleasures or my wants are more important than another's lack. He said, no, God, what do you want me to do with this car? There's a family in the church that had a need. He gave the car away. And I think, help me to be more like him. I saw him this morning. You know what was an amazing thing? He actually looked like he ate today. He actually was happy. He had clothes on that were ironed. He had a smile on his face. He didn't look troubled. To be honest, I think he looked a little happier because he put a principle in place that Jesus really smiled down on. Here's another one, too, that we've got to be careful of. My pleasure is more important than my purpose. Verse 19 says, now I take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. 
When I look at this, I recognize that this guy recognized that um, he wanted something now that caused a place of complacency versus investing it in the purpose. This is where Jesus is going in this story. And so he, he shows us the result or the consequences. He says, listen, if you think this way, if you are here today and you think this way about your stuff, here's what I can guarantee you. Your temporal pleasures won't reap eternal rewards. They may bring you some temporary pleasure, but they won't bring you any kind of everlasting or eternal benefits. He says to the guy, he says, you fool, you're going to die this night. See, and this isn't a salvation issue, but it's definitely an inheritance issue. There's so many people, again, that are saved or have stuff, but they live miserable, lonely, empty lives because they live a life of uselessness, not purposefulness. Very important. And here's the other thought is that your material treasures won't reap you spiritual riches. He said, then who's going to get everything that you work for? Obviously not him. The reality is, you know, that everything that we have will one day be left behind. You won't take it with you. You can't put it in your casket. Well, I guess you can, but you'll just be buried with you of no use. I remember hearing about a, a man that says, before I die, I want to be buried with all my money. So when he died, his wife just wrote the check and put it in there and then <laughs> said, you got your wish. There. That's good. Alexander the Great, he, before he died, you know what he asked? He says, I want you to bury me with my hands up and open and empty so that everybody sees me before I go into the ground, recognizes that I left with nothing in my hands. Job said, naked I come, naked I return. I don't take anything with me. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses today. So let's, let's just talk here in the few minutes that we have. I'm just going to give you five thoughts for you, just some practical application, because Jesus finishes this whole story with this simple statement that is so profound. Please don't miss this. Verse 21, he says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, he says, but not have a rich relationship with God. Out of that stems everything else. As you look at Jesus' life, the rest of his stories, you find a couple true rich statements. True riches, number one, are found in making Jesus first in your life. It sounds so simple, but he said, Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, then all your stuff will be added to you. We want it the other way. We want to focus on stuff and then add on Jesus. He's saying, make me first in everything. If you want true riches, true happiness, true joy, true contentment, if you want all of those things that you so desperately seek in things, you'll never find it there. You'll find it in seeking me. And then they will come your way and these things will mean a little bit less to you. We think that it's stuff that brings happiness. It doesn't. It's Jesus. We think that stuff brings peace. It doesn't. It's Jesus. We think that security comes by having this bank account, which the stock market could collapse tomorrow. It's found in Jesus. We find true riches, first of all, by making Jesus first in our life. 
Second, we find true riches by investing our life, our time, our energy into eternal purposes. You go back and read the other story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 about the parable of the talents. He says, let me tell you, there's some people just like you. I gave them some talents. I told them to invest them. I came back a year later and I judged them based on what they did with what they had. The guy that had five invested it, well done. Guy with two invested it, well done. The guy with one buried it. You wicked and slothful servant is what Jesus told them. Why? Is because he tried to find riches somewhere else than investing it into the eternal purposes of God. What do I mean by that practically? You know, if you just think about, again, forget your, your, your material stuff. Just think about your time, your energy, your passion, your heart. Where do you deposit that? I look at people that do, for instance, our foster parent night out. They take their Saturdays off once a month to serve foster kids. That's a great investment. I look at people that are involved in the veterans ministry here, or the law enforcement. I look at what we're doing to combat sex trafficking. People that sit here, they just go, you know what? I'm going to take some of my time and energy instead of doing it for me, eat, marry. This, this is what Jesus is confronting. I'm going to take my time, my energy, and I'm going to invest it into other people's lives, into the kingdom of God. And he says, out of that, what you receive is the riches satisfaction, purpose, contentment, fulfillment. You're just going, man, I just feel so good about myself. Why? Is because you gave instead of greed, right? Here's the third thing that I think true riches shows us. Is true riches are found in using your resources to bless others. Let me, let me read a scripture, catch this. I'm almost done. Just stick with me here. Proverbs 11.24 says, one person gives freely, yet he gains even more. Another person withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Here's a kingdom dynamic you've got to get. You will never lack if you give. You will always lack if you keep. You'll never lack if you give. You'll always lack if you keep. God gives you stuff, and if you have the right heart and motive and you invest it to bless others, he says, I can trust you with more. If you hold it for yourself, a lot of people, they barely make it through life is because they never let go. They held on to everything so tight. God says, okay, I'll take care of your needs, but you'll never have surplus because we always thought it was about us. Here's another one. True riches are found in building his church and his kingdom. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your works and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. I know he's not in this service, but I'm going to go ahead and brag on Ron Scott. This week we're doing some last minute remodeling here and I've watched Ron Scott show up every morning working to almost midnight. 
Here's a retired guy that could be out on some trip doing something. I'm not against trips. But I recognize here is a man that understands where his true riches come from. There's hundreds of us here. We've, we've, we've got time and energy. Take out your TV. Take out whatever it is. You're going to find time and energy. What are we doing to invest in the most important institution on planet Earth, the local church? And then lastly is this. Is the true riches are found in living like Jesus and sharing his love. I could have the bands to the platform. Let me just share a closing scripture with you, and I just want you to think about this thought. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he's reflecting back on his riches, what was important to him. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 says this. After all, after all what? After everything that I've lived, everything that I've seen, everything that I've done, what gives me hope and joy? He says, what will be my proud reward and my crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? He says this, it's you. He says to the Thessalonians, he says this, you know what my crown, when I stand before Jesus, when it's all said and done, you know what the greatest riches are gonna be? You. Because I poured my life into another person. He's saying my inheritance, my crown, what I'll receive that day is going to be where I invested my life into others. Living like Jesus, sharing his love. You know, we had a... Uh, a very moving memorial service here yesterday, celebration of a life for a wonderful man in our church named Rod Roshinsky, three hours long. Person after person after person got up there and talked about a man that invested his entire life in others. I didn't hear one comment about the car he drove, how much money was in his IRA, what kind of house he lived in, what kind of dog house he had. You know what I heard about? He's a man that gave his life, a man that cared, a man that loved, a man that served. I believe when he crossed over, he understood exactly what life is all about. How about you guys? Come on, let's just, let's just be real honest and just say, okay, Jesus, I got some stuff to deal with in my heart and my life. I kind of got caught up in this America thing. Again, if you have stuff, keep your stuff. Just don't let the stuff keep you. God, help us. Help us to see what's in our hand is from Him. And that my riches are not measured by what I own, but how I use what I have been given. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus today, Lord, we thank you for your stories. Thank you for the truth. Lord, I know that there's not a person here today or 
a person listening online anywhere in the world that doesn't want more of you in their life. God, this isn't a, a resistance issue. God, would you help us? God, with our heart. Lord, I pray at the, the end of the day when we leave here that, God, we would just go back and think about what we have and why we have it and who gave it to us and why do we have it and is there a, a better use for it? Is there something that we can do with what we have that will bring us true riches? Lord, I believe that you're going to touch many hearts here today. So Father, right now, left to right, front to back, just settle in on the heart of every person. God, let them just assess their life. God, today, I personally, myself, make a commitment before you. God, I want to use my life for your glory. Lord, I want to use my stuff for your glory. Lord, break off any kind of self-centeredness. God, I speak against narcissism and greed and covetousness, entitlement. God, those things that choke us out from receiving the true blessings, the everlasting, ever-increasing, extravagant riches of the kingdom of God. I thank you for that now. Jesus.